So, so quick recap of the question. Basically, today uh, we were talking to the Rav about what is the ultimate goal and purpose of Torah and Judaism, and we basically said that it's to know, it's to help the world to know God. So the question basically is, what does that mean to know God? Um, uh, we can elaborate, but that's basically the question. What does it mean? Uh, how do we get there? How do we understand that? What are we? What are we trying to get people to know? Um, that's basically, in a nutshell what the question is. So, so you have to start with what, obviously what Yediyat Hashem is not, is what most people are familiar with, you know, what, that you can't know God, though you're Ani Adam Bachai, right? We talked about that this morning too. Yeah. Right? You can't know God, meaning, what, what it means that you can't know God is that you can't define God, because to define something, you have to have some basis to, de- you have to have something that's familiar to you that you can define it in terms of, like, if I define a table, I'll say, well, it's a piece of furniture that is used uh, for such and such. But I'm using terms that I'm familiar with and I can, I can uh, you know, d- define uh, utilizing. So I have some That's some not the only different. book. There are other books. <laughs> yeah. like a, maybe a Tanakh would be good too. Tanakh would probably be good too. Bring Mohammed's biography. We talked about that too. <laughs> You missed interesting topics. What are supposed to do? I'm Yeah, so, uh, no, so you can't know God's essence. That's true. You can't know, I mean, you can't define God. But what does it mean? To, so then what does it mean to know God? The Rambam does talk about exactly what it means, actually. He does talk about what exactly it means, but really it's not only the Rambam. I mean, everybody basically is it. You can only know, um, it's like, the way that, let's say, you study the works of an author, or you study an, uh, you study an artist, right? You can, without having biographical knowledge of the person, right? You learn them, you understand them from seeing what they produce, right? So, and from, the, uh, from their handiwork and the way that they do things or did things, so you can infer certain things about them. Okay, so in the case of the in the case of uh, Hashem, so the idea of hodieni na ederachecha that Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, he says because when he says hareini na kivodecha, Hashem says no, you can't know my essence, you can't know who I am. But hodieni na ederachecha, I can teach teach you my ways that I can do, and Hashem Hashem elochum achanun is the ways of God. Right? So to understand that is not simply words like Hashem, Hashem, Elohim, Vechanun, What does each one of those ideas mean and what does it signify and what is it? So when, when the, uh, when the, when Hashem speaks to Moshe, he says, uh, I'm going to pass all of my goodness in front of you. What does it mean, kol tuvi al panecha? What do the Farshim say about kol tuvi al panecha? It means I'll let you understand the entire Maseb Reshit. Because what is it? Vayar Elohim et kol What's called to be? It means all the existence I created. I'm gonna like all of that. You'll be able to understand, but you can't. But but uh, you you can't you can't see my face. Meaning you can't know the essence of God, but you can see called to be. Meaning to understand the entire universe. Because really, in order to understand, in order to understand any aspect, people just want to know certain things about God. The things that they feel are relevant to them. But in order to understand any of those things, you have to understand the to- total picture, right? You have to understand the total picture. When you understand the total picture, that Yediyat Hashem is understanding all that's accessible to us in terms of the wisdom of Hashem. That's what we were talking about today. Why does it always say Shem Hashem? Kiddush, uh, Kiddush Hashem, right? It says, 
Mamlichin, right? And this was the most interesting thing in the tefillah. I, I think it's interesting because we say it all the time. Nobody ever paid attention to this, right? No, you never paid attention to this. But it says uh, when we're talking about describing the malachim in the Birchot Kriyat Shema, and we say, uh, and we say, Mamlichin et Shem Ha'el Hamelech Hagadol Vagibor Vanoah. We're we're mamlich the Shem Hashem. Why doesn't it just say we're mamlich Hashem? It says mamlich et Shem Ha'el Hamelech Hagadol Vagibor Vanoah. That's very strange. What does it mean? It means the Shem is all we can relate to in God. That's our understanding of God. What becomes our Melech? Our understanding of God becomes our Melech. Because Hashem himself is beyond our understanding. Melech means our conscious, our consciousness of God. Right? Meaning, our consciousness that God is the director of our life is He's the Melech. Amen. We're talking about accepting the Malchut Hashem. We're accepting the Malchut of the Shem Hashem, meaning the extent to which we understand the wisdom of God. That's what we, that's what we can know of God. We can't know God himself, His essence. Really, the truth is you can't know a person... 100% their essence either, right? But we can infer a lot more about it because we have, let's say we understand ourselves, we understand, other, we understand the world, and this, this person is similar to us. They're also a human being. They live in the same kind of world. So therefore, we have the tools to be able to infer things about them, even if we don't 100% know the depths of the soul of another person. But we can infer certain things because we have a background and a framework in which to understand it. With God, we don't have that. But what we do have is the Maasei Hashem. And in order to understand the Darche Hashem in terms, in terms of Hashkacha, like Hashem, Hashem, Elohim, Chanun, etc., you have to first of all understand the entire picture. That's an Yavyo Kol Tuvi Al Panecha. You have to understand the, enti- the entirety. Now, when it, it's uh, similar to what we read in uh, every single Shabbat. Mizmor Shiliyom Shabbat, right? Uh, what does it say in, in, uh, uh, when, when it talks about uh, in Mizmor Shiliyom Shabbat? Tov Lo Dot Lashem Ulazam Lashem Chaylion, right? Always, yeah. Right? Right? It goes from talking about the depths of the thoughts of God, meaning in the creation, the actions of God, and the, the, the creation of God, and then it says, and then it says, but even though the wicked people are flourishing, they're going to be destroyed. What does that have to do with understanding the creation of God? Well, how did that transition happen in that mismo? This is an example of how we read the tefillah way too fast because we don't notice the obvious problem. But I think the Shem HaMelech HaGadol is the most obvious because we read every day. Like, if you, you know, and people don't even notice that little word in there that changes the meaning. But what, is it, what, what does it mean? And then Tzadik Katamar Yifach What does that have to do with the Shabbat? We were just talking about the creation of the world and right? And I'm looking at the creation and then all of a sudden I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about how wicked people are going to be destroyed and how, uh, and how the tzaddik is going to flourish. What's the answer? So the answer is that because in, in order to understand, a person wants to understand just the fate of human beings. So they're, they're only interested in the darchei Hashem insofar as it's going to affect my, especially my physical life, but my life. My, my own personal existence, the, my, my small slice of, uh, of existence. Right? But, the, but that's embedded in a much broader system. That's embedded in, uh, in, in the entire universe that God created. Is you're a tiny detail. Uh, no matter how important you are, you're a tiny detail. Right? That's what it says, uh, We're all just tiny, with tiny detail. 
So to understand the fate or to understand the purpose or to understand the meaning of something or how God works in a certain way, if it's a simple thing, we're going to be able to reduce it to concepts that are accessible to us, but you don't understand the total picture, so how can you understand it? It's like, it's like could you have a, a, a doctor that's an expert on this vein? I'm only an expert on this vein. I have no idea how the body works. But this vein, I understand everything about how it works. It's not possible. So is understanding and knowing God an end goal in and of itself? So there's no higher goal. Then. Or are we, are, we, are we trying to know God in order to... Run, know, we should stand for the pizza. In order to be able to... <laughs> That's well, what everyone was actually yeah, hacking. Let's get it to the rabbi quick. There's no good pizza in now. Okay. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, pause it for one second. Let's watch. Pizza. Pizza. Achieving an awareness of God's challenges. Of his kadoshness. Right. That's why it's our experience. It means that you're tarnishing the understanding of people's understanding of God. When you're mekadosh, that means you're bringing clarity to people's understanding of God. You're, as opposed to you're tarnishing it or distorting. Yeah. It is You don't say when you say chilul Hashem, you mean the name. You don't mean mechalel Adonai. Mechalel Hashem. Right. I know that's just because we call him that, but actually, it, it means mechalel Shem Hashem. It doesn't mean mechalel. Bechilalta et Shem Eloecha. If we're so concerned with like everyone having the right perception of of Hashem, why is it not like something that we focus on? It's not something that we're teaching children at a young age and even adults have a very kind of. Who's the uh, we that you're Who's the, who's the, the general? Gen- the general mainstream is not really. It's not this, this idea of understanding what God, as much as we can, understanding what God is not. So we're, you know, most people have, I would say, a very... I heard there's this really good podcast mm-hmm. with these two guys. They, they, they work on that a lot. They do. Well, I don't know what you're This is a problem that was, that was in the time of the Rambam. He was already saying, you know, nobody teaches this. Right. Yeah, the Gionim knew and all that, and they talk about it, but... It was something that the Rambam was trying to bring to the center of education because he realized that there was such a failure in that particular area. But it's unfortunately... I'm just curious to know why it's like people shy away from this topic so much. It's almost like uh, yeah, deliberate. It's very easy to be an idol. I'm not sure. Right. I don't know. So fun. I'm very, very, um, yeah. I'm very uh, sheltered. I don't see it. <laughs> I only hang out with people that... So knowing how God behaves, knowing His actions, knowing the manifestations, because our experience of of what it are you still recording? It's yeah, it's recording. It's recording. It's not about it's not about knowing how He behaves in order to emulate Him. That's also we talk. I talked about this. Or is it more about like what does the Rambam say in the last the last chapter of Rambam? It's very important. I don't know because we didn't. Why get they misunderstood? We didn't get to it yet. <laughs> one day, no, but it's very important to know it. Even it's um, there's actually it's in the in 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 in, uh, in the in the introduction to Shmona uh, Prakim. Even Tibon actually talks about this last parak of the Shmona uh, Prakim and gives different interpretations of the pasuk. But basically, what the Ra- the Rambam says, like 
He quotes the famous uh, pasuk that we read on Tisha, in Tisha B'Av Haftarah. We talked about it this morning, right? That, uh, that, that we're from Yishayahu. I'm uh, sorry, not Yishayahu, Yirmiyahu, rather. Right? So, so the Rambam says, if it, if it just wanted to say intellectual knowledge, it would have said uh, uh, that you should know Ki Ani Hashem Borei Olam, Ani Hashem Echad. He gives some example. I forget exactly what the Rambam gives as the alternative possibilities. But they says, no, it says Ani Hashem Oseh Chesed Mishpat Utzaka Baaretz Ki Be'ele Chafatzinu Hashem. Meaning that not only... Do I do this? But this is what I want from you. Right? So we talked about this morning that if a person has an understanding of, uh, you know, uh, knowledge of Hashem, it will lead to the way that they behave. It will change the way they behave. Okay? But that's, it's connected to their idea of Hashem because they understand that they see the wisdom of God's ways and then they're drawn to want to emulate those ways naturally. Like the, the, when the, in the Sefer Mitzvot, the Rambam says about Avraham Avinu, he loved Hashem, so therefore he wants other people to love Hashem. He sees the truth, so he wants others to uh, also see the truth. So when we said about Kiddush Hashem, Kiddush Hashem is something that can occur even when a person is by themselves. Right? That, that's what we saw. No? Yeah. Why? Because any time that you affirm the transcendence of God, even to your own mind, it's a, it's a Kiddush Hashem. But it's obviously the greater the audience, the more powerful that Kiddush Hashem would be. That's what does that lead me towards the Nietzschean conclusion of like, I observe the natural world and God's creation, I see the predators preying upon the preyed upon, and that should be the morality, is to be strong and dominant, as opposed to like, where by observing nature do I see that the, the weak are being naturally taken care of? Other um, than in order to sustain the stronger ones to be their food. You know, so, so you think that would lead to a uh, a uh, sort of a. Uh, I mean, no, like what what I'm, what what I'm saying we get our morality from what we see around us. No, because we're saying you know God by. First Observing. of all, it, the claim in the Nevi'im is God is osen mishpat which which you can claim to see in the human realm, but it's not like it's not empirically provable. And no. at the same time, if you try to find it in the natural realm, you don't really see it. You know, like, that's why I think Frederick Nietzsche's whole thing was like, why are we taking care of the poor when nature tells us that the poor should be trampled upon? Let nature run its course and let the poor be trampled upon. You know? It's almost as if, if you look at nature, you will come to the wrong conclusion, except for the fact that the Torah stepped in to correct your misguided understanding. Right. That's why he didn't like Judaism. Yeah, that's why he hated Judaism, because he's like, it turned... It's flipping the morale. It's, it's giving power to the weak, which yeah. is the opposite of what nature is. And then he said, and the worst thing of all is that the entire Western world bows down and worships the Jew. He said that? Mm-hmm. That's actually what I mean. Yeah. But, but <laughs> you can't complain. A Jew that was crucified and was the worst, you know, was the, was the one who was like, <laughs> the, like exactly what you're saying. You, you can't complain what you see in nature with morality. I think that's where he fails. That he tries to say that because nature is X, therefore that is what's moral. That's not what's moral. That's just what how how. That's what God does. And that he created the world and was tov meol, and that is the tov that Moshe experiences. So how is Moshe getting from seeing that tov, which is biryat alam, to becoming a moral person? 
take the Nabi's word for it? Mm. How do I start to see that Mishpat Ustakaba arts like, like from the source? So you're saying that you understand the idea of doing good in the world and you understand the idea of God's creation as a foundation of the authority of God to command it. Mm-hmm. But you don't see the connection between the specific knowledge you would have about Hashem and how that would impact the way that you behave. You just see it as two different things. Correct. One thing shows you that God exists and is wise and so on. And the other thing is, okay, what does God want from me? And these two things are not directly related to one another. Yeah, they're more like a feed on one another. Like my, my appreciation one supports the, world, the other, let's say. Yeah, it feeds into my appreciation for the Torah, but I feel like... But the content of, the, of what you're observing in the world isn't informing John, do you your behavior. Do you think there's anything immoral about doing shechita and eating an animal? Do you think? No, but is that different? Is that different from a lion eating an animal? Is that different from a lion eating an animal? Is that the same question to you? They're talking about like chatat. Okay, but let's say it's not immoral. Where's the rachum? So the question is like that they can defend themselves and they're able to survive. The question is what. What would the like the you know the, the, I think goes back to another question. We could take question, push the question back further. You didn't bring the Ramar and the here for us, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I told you I wanted it. That's the third thing. Yeah. Now, if you if you uh, the pro- part of the problem is like the Rambam says when he talks about Sefer Yot that the the way in which God governs is not like the way human governs. So if we look at, and therefore, not only does our assumption about how God governs, should govern, or would govern uh, human life affect what, what our expectations are. Basically, we have certain expectations or assumptions about that, and therefore, when, when those, contra- those are contradicted, we find ourselves in, in a lot of... Uh, uh, existential crisis, the way that Eo was, right? So in the same way, uh, you know, we're looking, we're looking in the universe for something that appears like benevolent governance in the universe, the way that we would imagine it would happen in human governance as well. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's the same thing. So Rambam says, but he's really emphatic about this, especially, especially when he talks about Eo, that what it means for God to be governing is different than what it means for humans to be governing and what it means for God to be uh, rachum is different than what it means for human beings to be rachum. Even if you look at the Rambam, he's very precise in his language. He says, Mahu nikra rachum, Mahu nikra chanon. Right? He says he's called that. Okay? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's exactly the same thing. So, uh, for instance, um, you had asked, somebody had asked this morning about something that is uh, where the Rambam kind of hints to an idea in the Mishnah Torah. In the, in the so there's one in Hilchot Teshuvah, and he's talking about the issue of uh, free choice, okay? And I like this one because it's very subversive and sneaky what the Rambam does because he sneaks in, you know, philosophical ideas into the Mishnah Torah, and you wouldn't even notice it. You just read it and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense and everything, <laughs> right? It does make sense, but you wouldn't notice that he's, so, he's, he's also pushing you in a, in a way of thinking about things that's different. So he says, um, 
when he talks about uh, choice. So he says there are many psukim in the Torah that sound like, you know, they don't exactly fit with the idea that human beings have free choice. Sounds kind of like uh, human beings uh, are, that things are predetermined by God. And, uh, and then he says, um, Where are we reading? This is from Hilchot uh, Teshuvah of the Rambam. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, Perek Kavav. So Right? So it doesn't mean that he actually directs you, your choice, but he gives you Nevi'im, Modi'im lahem Darche Hashem, Umachzirin Otan Bechuva, Veod Shenatan Bem Koach Lilmodu Lahavin. Not only that, the other way that he helped you was he gave you the ability to understand. Shemidazo Becholadam, Shekozman Shunim Shach, Bedarche Achuchma, Batsedek, Mitave Lenu Vodevota. Because if a person understands and becomes exposed to the ways of truth, he'll be drawn after it. Right? So that's, a, again, that's a, that's a very famous statement of Chazal. Somebody who comes to purify themselves will be, will be helped, right? They help him. And then the Rambam translates it, but notice the nuance in the translation. It's very interesting. He says, it says, that, uh, That's the statement of the Gemara. If the person comes to purify themselves, they, they help him. What does the Rambam say? He will find himself helped in the matter. Okay? He makes it passive instead of an action of God. Okay? So equipping, in other words, one of the things the Rambam says in the Moron in many places that the governance of God was equipping natural entities with the ability to survive and thrive. That is the Rachamim of Hashem. Okay? So when That's kind of what Sean is saying. Hmm? Yeah, so when when Hashem provides every species with what it needs in order to continue, we're not looking at the individual sheep. Oh my god, that sheep really had a bad life because a wolf came and devoured the it species. or Right. We're looking at the we're looking at the species that has the wool at the right season, it has the grass at the right season, it has this, it has that, it has all of the things that are necessary for in order to thrive and in order to continue the species. And the same is true with all natural entities. And even though some obviously prey upon others, that's how they live. Those individual lions, they prey on the, on the whatever it is, the uh, gazelle. But the gazelle, there's enough gazelles that they continue to live and they have all the, uh, what they need. And a human being in the same way has what he or she needs in order to survive and thrive. And that's the fundamental governance of Rachum <coughs> Now, what do we do that assists is that, oh, if I see a person that a particular individual who is without, in other words, God's system works in terms of general laws and, the, and, and nature and he provided creatures with what's necessary for them to fulfill their potential and achieve their purpose and continue their species. Right, but I see an individual animal that's suffering. I can alleviate the suffering of the animal. I see uh, an individual human being that doesn't have clothing or doesn't have food. Or I see an individual be- uh, human being that's lacking knowledge 
and therefore is not having a good life because they lack knowledge. So I provide them with that. So Hashem provided us with Nevi'im and with an intellect to use. But let's say I see a person who isn't accessing that. They don't have that, they don't access to that or they don't know how to access it or they don't recognize the value or they're trapped in, uh, in a bad cycle of behavior and I can get them out of it. So the Rachamim of Hashem relates to the totality. He gave all, these, all this equipment and all these means. But I can be an agent of that rachamim by identifying specific circumstances in which the general rules are uh, not uh, enabling that person to succeed for whatever reason, perhaps due to a circumstance, perhaps due to his choices and, uh, or his environment, his upbringing, it doesn't matter. And I can intervene and I can be an agent of benefiting that person and applying the rachamim to that. So I see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides all of his creatures with what they need in order to achieve their potential, and I see this individual doesn't have that. So I, the rachamim is, wow. right, to go and to, and, and to uh, relate to that uh, individual in the way that they need so that they can have it, because I see that that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. So that's what, what Avraham Avinu did. He said, I see that God gave all of the creatures all of existence. All of existence really is dependent on God, and God provides what the existence needs to continue to flourish. I see this individual's existence is uh, impaired. So I'm being Darchei Hashem is, right? It's also Darchei Hashem that if there's a wicked person, I, uh, God uh, removes, uh, you know, God, the nature, nature removes the wicked actually, right? right? Why is it connected to Shabbat? Because really, that the person doesn't realize that the path of wickedness, my nature leads to destruction. Wow. Well, let's say in a particular case, this individual is getting away with it. Okay, so that's one human intervention. That's, uh, that, 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 so we intervene. But the, path right? of but the, path, the idea that the path of wickedness is contrary to God's design, it's disrupting God's design, and therefore, and is preventing creatures from achieving their potential. Therefore, I need, to, uh, I need to preserve existence, preserve the good of existence by, by removing this individual from, you know, or, or correcting them. I mean, obviously it could be tochacha, could be uh, punishment, could be whatever, it depends on the circumstance, but that's, that's what I learned from the Darchei Hashem, that, that that's, what, that's what should be done. See what I'm saying? So the... Um, a, lot of, a lot of the thinking here is that God acts on a more broad scale, and we have to pick from the, what we see more broadly and apply to the individual circumstances. Which it's, not over, it's not just in nature, it's also in halakha. What do you have? You have an idea in halakha that a Navi can tell you to con- do something contrary to the halakha. How could it be that Eliyahu Navi told the people to bring a korban on harakarmen? That's the famous example. Or how could it be that Yahushua told them to go to war on Shabbat? Or whatever. Right, so the, the Rambamza, an individual circumstance where the Navi could say, in this particular case, the general rules of the halacha will not be sufficient, so therefore we have to bend the rule. If he tells you I'm uprooting the rule, then it, it can't be. Uh, is, right? Is this, related, is this related to what the Rambam says that the system doesn't always match for every single. So then the more yeah. That's another thing. I mean, the point is that by no, no system. No system can ever be perfect for every individual case. Because if it's working by a law and a principle, it's not going to, in every single case, have an outcome 
that is the most amenable, let's say. Like, no system can do that. Like, educational system, there will always be that kid that uh, falls between the cracks of the educational system and they need special intervention. Uh, um, a, any bureaucratic system, there will always be a case. There will always be cases in court where, like, how could that be the, the, the court's decision? That, that court decision doesn't make any sense and it's totally uh, contrary to the principles that we would have expected. Yeah, but they're applying the law correctly. Yeah, but, and that's not what, that wasn't the intention of the law, the people who framed the law ever for that type of outcome to occur. But if we're being consistent, then we're upholding the law. So sometimes there are going to be outcomes that are well, not yeah. what we would have uh, expected based on the, uh, you know, the, the goal of the law. So a Navi or even a Bet-Din, there's such a thing as, uh, you know, a Bet-Din is makin ve'onshin shalom adin. There's an idea that sometimes the Bet-Din can give a hora'at sha'a, which means they have a temporary, uh, temporary legislation, that, that there are situations in which... Um, in order to correct for the fact that the system as a whole is a system, it's a system of principles and laws, so you intervene in particular cases without uprooting the law, but to modify or to su- supplement, to supplement the uh, system in order to address those particular cases. And you have the same, uh, and you have the same thing uh, you know, with a Navi, like I was saying. A Navi does that, and that's why if a Navi tells you, I'm uprooting the uprooting a mitzvah, so that's against the uh, fundamentals. Or if he says, I'm going to tell you one, just one time to worship idolatry, it, that's impossible. That could never be. That could never be a valuable activity. The that could, right, that could, he, because the Navi is saying, in this particular case, doing A instead of B will further the, the goal of the system better. Even though the system would tell you to do A, in this particular case, I know that doing B would be better. But what is the whole purpose of the system? Kiddush Hashem and Avodah Hashem. It can't be Avodah Hashem. would never be one of those things. It could be in this particular case, breaking Shabbat will be better for the total system, for, for the sake of, you know, Et Lasot Hashem It will be better. Um, like it says also in the end of Masachet Brachot in the Mishnah that Boaz instituted Shelat Shalom B'Shem Hashem. That's why Boaz said, uh, Hashem imachem, and they answered him, Hashem. Why did he do that? Because in the times of the Shoftim, if you look at, it was a bad time. What does it mean that there was a famine in the land? It means that there was a time that the people were disconnected from the Derech HaTorah, so therefore there was, they, were, they were under the Klalot instead of the Brachot. That's always what it signifies whenever there's a Ra'av in the, uh, in the Tanakh. Right, so and that's why the rabbis say at the time that the shoftim were being judged, not that the shoftim were at the beginning of root. So the idea is that uh, that uh, that the leadership was failing, and therefore, and therefore there was Ra'ab Baaretz, and therefore Elimelech, who allegedly was, according to the Chazal, this great leader himself abdicates, you know, runs away to, Mo- to Moab and intermarries with the enemies of the Jewish people. It would be like if somebody left Israel and went and lived in Iran and, you know, said the economy is not good in, uh, in Israel. Everyone's bothering me. I'm going to go live in, Ira- in Syria. You know, so and I'm going to America. Right. Well, America wouldn't even think. Nobody, nobody's that stupid. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm assuming a certain basic level of a rationality. The average, average you know? time between jabs at America is like 20 to 25 minutes. <laughs> he said it. I wasn't going to say that. So uh, I can't insult my host. It's, it's, all, it's also um, like what you once told us about non-Peshat halakhic interpretations of Pesukim. How they're very often not don't seem like Peshat on a localized level, but the Chachamim were going for a more like a, a fitting halakhic interpretation for... They have to look at the whole system. They have to look at the whole thing. And so in, yeah, so in the case of, I was just bringing that case, so therefore, what do you see about the time of Ruth? You see that the idea was that the, that, um, 
that things had fallen into disarray. That's why there was a just like Chana understood that the reason why I'm in Akara is because the bad spiritual leadership of the, the people and therefore I need to pray for a leader to emerge that's going to correct it because she knows that it. it says in the Torah, Lo yebachem akar akara vivhem techa. When you have, right, when you're, when you're living under the Bachot, you don't have any, uh, any situation like that. So she understood her situation was symptomatic of a general breakdown, which of course it was because the Bnei Eli were so corrupt. Mm-hmm. Right? So in the times of Elimelech, Elimelech being a... So most people would just look at their own circumstances and be like, oh, woe is me, you know, who cares about how corrupt the system is? Chana was great and that she said, I see in my own problem a symptom of a much broader problem that the Jewish people are disconnected from the Darche Hashem. And therefore, I'm going to pray to have a child, not for my own satisfaction, but that's going to correct wow. this Whoa. disorder, the national disorder. That's and that's why I want to have this child, give this child to become the leader that's going to become Shemuel and so on. So that's, that's real tefillah, by the way. That's, that's why Hannah is the, is the example of tefillah and what we use on Rosh Hashanah. Because that's an example of somebody who didn't try to push God into doing what they wanted. They, say, they said, I need to change what I want. That's real tefillah, really change what I want because I understand really what my purpose is in having a child is not just my own gratification, but what can I contribute to Am Yisrael? And I see that I'm an akara, which means that we, are, we have a problem. She reflected on it. So in the case of the story of Ruth, similar situation, that Elimelech, who was supposedly a leader, runs away. And then of course, then it says, what? Why does Naomi go back? Ki shama'a ki Right? What does that mean, though? It's not accidental that oh, the economy went back up because they have a new administration. That's not, that's, that's not what it means. It means that the, that the spiritual status, state of the Am Yisrael was better. Therefore, the Vacha returns. And therefore, who's in charge when she goes back? It's Boaz. And Boaz is a guy who goes around saying, Hashem imachem. So the Chazal are saying in that Mishnah, I'm just explaining to you, they don't say this, I'm like giving you the background of it, right? So that's why the Chazal are pointing, so you could just look at that Mishnah and be like, why would Boaz make a takana of saying Shalat uh, Shalom in the name of God and Eid Lasot Hashem Where are they getting that it's Eid Lasot Hashem? What crisis is there? I'm just explaining to you. You have to understand the Tanakh, what, what, why the Tanakh presents this episode and why the Tanakh is showing you Boaz. So Boaz is a person that is trying to get the people aware of God. Hashem imachem, Hashem. In other words, that was the, you could see that he's trying to teach the people to heighten their consciousness of Hashem by incorporating that into, but it says that's a, that's a, that's a, 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 because you're not supposed to go around walking around talking, saying Hashem's name all the time. You know, in, in mundane thing, because it can lessen the Kavod Shemayim. But if you're in a situation where the, the, there needs to be a restoration of the awareness of God, so then, you know, the, then it's possible that you would be, do eight less of the Shem Right? So I'm just, that's, that's what I'm giving you, like, the Mishnah is here, and I'm just giving you the around, like, what the, what the Mishnah is talking about. You have, you have to look at the whole, you have to see these books of Tanakh, what, what the, you know, what the uh, background, I think we talked about the story of Hanan many times before, yes. but yeah, but, the, but, but it's such an important story, and that's why it's on Rosh Hashanah, we read Is this it. a theme that you could see throughout Tanakh, that when people, when you see uh, individual misfortunes in Tanakh, you could trace it to being in a time when the Kalalot are upon Israel? Only a person who's really deep in understanding, like Hanan is going to see that. No, I'm saying whenever I'm reading Tanakh. I mean, the question is, why, 
it's, it's not that nobody was having kids because obviously Penina was having kids. Yeah. Right? So why did Hashem specifically design that Chana would be the one that would be Akara? Because so he knew that she would be the one that would reflect on it, understand the significance of her extraordinary circumstance and, and be able to be sensitive and aware of the fact of what was going on in the spiritual leadership of Ami that it was so bad, which the Navi tells you straight out anyway, right, about Chofni Open Chas and how bad they were. But now she's going to, from that... Make a change in her life, meaning she would. There wouldn't have been a Shmuel if Chana had not been Akara first and said that there needs to be a change in the leadership of the Jewish people. So therefore, if I have a child, I'm going to donate my child to become the protege of Elia Kohen, who was basically a decent guy, and 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 uh, redeem the Jewish people from their leadership crisis. Right? No, a normal person wouldn't have that idea. Who else were Akarot in the Torah? Sarah. Right. So, Rivka, and it says, why were they... What did the Chazal say? The Chazal say a scandalous thing, that everyone gets very upset about this. Why did Hashem make the Imahot uh, uh, barren? Sh'akadosh baruchum mitavelet filatan shel tzadikim. What does that mean? God tortures the tzadikim because he just wants to hear the tzadikim. He wants to hear them beg. Right? That's what, that's what, right? That's what it sounds like. I want you to beg. Why doesn't he do that to the Rasha make him beg? Why, why is he doing that to Tzaddik? Because the Rasha won't come. The Rasha won't... Uh, but is that what it means? God wants to hear the Tfilah. He's like, I'm going to force that Tzaddik to just beg me. And then, <laughs> why? Why? But it doesn't make sense. What does it mean? It doesn't mean God wants to hear the Tfilah of the Tzaddikim in, this, in a way like that. What it means is God knows that for a Tzaddik, his crisis or her crisis will lead to a greater... Insight will lead to a great, they'll lead to greater development for them. So therefore he puts them, the average person, whether they have kids or not have kids, it's not going to make it, you know, they're going to be stressed, they're going to be upset if they can't, or are they happy? It's not going to really further their spiritual development. The tzaddik will actually learn from it and grow from it. So Hashem puts certain crises in the life of the tzaddik because through that, the tzaddik is going to attain higher levels of perfection doesn't mean that God wants to hear him beg, like, oh, I really want to torture the, tor- torture the tzaddik. It doesn't even make sense. Why would he want to do Even a person who did that, you would say, what kind of a person, a cruel person would do that, right? That we, like uh, a teacher who has one good student and they'll punish that student all the time just so they cry. Yeah. Why? No, but it means because it's going de- to develop the tzaddik to a higher level to put them through certain uh, crises that maybe if for an average person that wouldn't have that effect. Sorry if I'm, if I'm repeating, I don't, I don't think it's repeating the same question, but I'm trying to understand this idea a little bit more of knowing God as an end goal, mm. as in and of itself. Like, if you tell me that the, you're supposed to know God's ways in order to emulate Him and create a better society for the world, I understand that a little bit more. But to say that, I, I, I can't wrap my head around the concept of knowing God as an, as an end goal. Like, what could an end goal be? What would an end goal be? Like, what, like, what would it look like? To say that Ulam Hazer, there's a certain value to, to mankind having a just society. That why? Is kind of, it's just something I can but why? around a little more. Because that is not God. Because I understand this world. No, no, but I'm asking why. So, so what does a just society mean? Does it mean a society in which uh, goods and services are uh, fairly distributed? 
No, I'm just asking. Is that no, what you so, mean? So, so you're right. That also comes with its own issues because then you're saying that the whole point is like for Allah That's what I'm asking right? you. That's so why I'm asking that you. That. Also I'm saying, has its own issues, isn't right? a just society just a society in which things are fair? So you're saying right. So then, right. So then you're just making an end goal fair distribution or access to material goods. Correct. I have issues. So then, the material goods become the end, right? More than than knowing God as a goal. Like, what does that? What does it mean? Like, to to know God's behavior as an end goal? Why? Just for for for, it's something spiritual. Something that I don't know. Well, it depends what you mean by why. Huh. It depends what you mean by why, because I guess if you, uh, because if you, um, if you keep asking why, eventually there's no answer. No, but I'll give you an example. Like I mentioned earlier today, when it says in Tefillat Ne'ilah, it says you chose Adam Lamod Defanecha, right? And uh, because who will ask you Mata Ase? Because who's going to question you? I mean, that's just what you did. That's just the way it is, right? Meaning. There's, you can't explain why human beings exist because there's actually no uh, nothing, no way in which they benefit God. And if he's righteous, what's he going to give you? Right. So, meaning you don't get anything out of it. So, what's the purpose? So, ultimately, there's a kach This is the this is what Hashem decided that He's going to create the universe. He's going to create uh, human beings. So then the question becomes: What is the highest level at which a human being can live? What are the highest level at which a human being can live? That, meaning, what's, what's the fullest actualization of the potential of a human being? We can't know why God wanted human beings to exist because we're never going to... That would be psychologizing God. Like, what was his motivation? And in order to... A motivation can either be external, which doesn't make any sense in terms of the creation because there was nothing external to God. And, and, or it could be internal, which would, means it's beyond our ability to fathom because that's God's mind, so to speak, right? So we can't know why God created the world. But once he did, then the question becomes for every creature, what's the highest uh, level it can achieve? What's the right. highest function that it can, uh, you know, that, that it can achieve? And, what is that? and the actualization of the potential. So since we have the ability to relate to God and the main way we can, the ultimate existence is God. And the way that we can relate to God is through using our minds to understand the ways of God. That's the highest form uh, accessible to a creature to relate to God is to understand God with our minds, to see the wisdom of God because we have an intellect that no other creature has. And then to consciously choose to live our life in a way that, is, that, that reflects the wisdom of God. That's, the, that's achieving our potential to its highest, to its fullest extent. There are other things a person could do that could also be meaningful. But, the, but since God is the ultimate reality, so the, to the extent that we can connect to that ultimate reality, and in our case, the only way we can is indirectly by understanding the ways of God and trying to Im- emulate them, we bring that ultimate meaning into our framework, into, our, into ourselves. We're able to relate to it through that. So it's not that the goal is distribution of goods and services, even though that can be part of it. Meaning, when a person has knowledge of God and they see that, oh, God creates, Hashem is rachamav al kol ma'asav, tov Hashem l'kol rachamav al kol ma'asav, and his will is for his creation, generally speaking, to function at the highest level. Well, if I see starving people, then I need to help them. I see that these people are uh, in, a, in a situation of starvation, I have to help them, right? So I'm distributing the goods because I'm trying to enable God's creation 
to function at its optimal level. But would that be enough if I just provided them with material goods and then they're ignorant and, they, and they're backwards and they don't know how to live a meaningful life, a life that connects to something higher than themselves? So then I haven't really addressed the full, you know, everything that they need. There's more that they need. And that was what Avram Avinu did. If he saw a person hungry, he fed them. Then if he saw the person also needed knowledge of some, he needed knowledge and understanding because he was an idolater, he also educated them. Right, so that, that comes from an understanding of Hashem, what Hashem does in the world. But what makes, what makes the knowledge of God, what makes the knowledge of God uh, 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 an end in, end in itself is that that's the highest level that we can function. That's, that's the fullest, that's the, uh, that is the way that we can relate to the, to the truest uh, reality that exists. It's through knowledge of God. There's no other way because God, is, God himself is beyond us. So gaining that knowledge of God is as close as we can come to relating to him. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think this a lot. It seems like to get this knowledge of God requires like philosophical depth and like, like an ability to think in a deep way. So how many people are misugal or capable of those levels of thought that they could actually achieve? Like, wouldn't it limit, wouldn't it limit the ultimate goal of Yahadut to a very select few introverted... Do we understand God, like, people at this table? Are we, are we... Oh, you you didn't, you you didn't do that before you came? No, no, I'm being serious. Like, it's a lifetime mission. Or is he right that, like... We all have a long, long way to go to achieve what Harabam is talking about. Not of course even us. Is there even? It sounds like there's a very, very select few people who are actually have the mental capacity to think so deeply and to achieve an understanding and to make all the connections to start appreciating God. I feel the opposite. I feel. I feel like the It's not such a complicated like, concept that God is Rahum and God is Hanun and God is, does all these things. Mm-hmm. To see more examples of it by learning Torah and seeing other things is just doubling down the same exact concept. Well, it's not really because if you, let's say, for example, a person is learning. For, first, let me, let me try to address both of those things. First, about the, it's in every area, there's always going to be certain individuals who are excelling, like even within the, even within the Gemara. Arba'an nichnesu la pardes. Of, of all of the Chachmei Yisrael, and the Rambam says, like, these were the top of the top of the top of the Chachmei Yisrael, and only four of them even tried to go to the ultimate level of understanding of God. Right? And, they, and only one succeeded, basically. Right? So it's not something that is, uh, it's not, of course, there's going to always be a, uh, it's always going to be limited to, uh, you know, certain individuals that are exceptional, that are going to achieve the highest level of it. That's true. The question is, can it be understandable or accessible to people who are not the elite of the elite? And I would say that the, the answer is, to, exert, to a certain extent, no, because obviously there's always going to be people who are at a higher level than... You're never going to be able to be Moshe Rabbeinu, even though you have the Torah, you're never going to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the difference? Or let me put it to another way. You'll never, you, you would never, I'm not saying you individually, none of us most likely would ever have discovered, let's say, the theory of relativity. But once it was discovered by Einstein, now anybody can learn it. Because it could be presented to you in a way that you could grasp. So even though you would never have come up with it on your own, you never would have seen it, once you do see it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And you can grasp it and you can see it. So 
in the same way, you wouldn't have come up with the idea of uh, Yichud Hashem, but Avraham Avinu came out with it, started to teach it, and then people were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then all of a sudden it becomes a common intellectual property, even of not a great genius like Avraham Avinu, even a normal person can understand it. Now, is everybody going to understand it to the same level? No, I don't think that that will ever be the case because there's always going to be variations in every area of knowledge and in every area of everything else. Just like you're never going to be able to run as fast as the fastest runner and you're never going to be able to climb as high mountain as the highest climber and you're never going to be able to play piano as well as the best piano player and so on and so forth. There's always going to be people who are truly exceptional and people who just dabble in it or they have, you know, they, they reach a certain level of, of understanding or competence or skill that's not going to be that. So that's, that's true that there's going to be, that there's going to be a level that is only for the top of the top, but there's going to be uh, an ability to relate to those ideas and an accessibility of those ideas, even for the uh, average person, right? So now, um, so... Uh, yeah, what do you want to say? Now, a lot of... I'm trying to see... A lot of the Jewish world, I mean, the, the whole Jewish world, emphasizes Torah study as, like, the ultimate thing, mm-hmm. right? It's not the impression you get from the Hamishah from Torah, or even from the Nevi'im, necessarily, that, like, that the essence of Yahadut is to study the Torah. But... I, I feel like, in, the, what, the 18th century, when the Hasidic movement was developing... It was filling a void and that there was so much emphasis on Torah, which is like a very intellectual pursuit, that like there were just people that are, that they can't open a book. Like I know a lot, I know a lot of people and you do as well. That they're just, they're very good socially, but they open up a book and they just, it doesn't, it doesn't register. Mm. Right? So is there a place in Yahadut, does this intellectual pursuit or this Da'at of Hashem, does it necessitate a person to be book smart? Or able to open a book, or is there a place for people who are really not misugal to do any systematic book learning to to still gain that real real knowledge of God? It's meaning it's, is Yahadu just in, in does it necessitate this intellectual side, or can a person just be a chassid and also know God just as well as the guy who knows him in this intellectual? I don't think that the problem that the Hasidic movement was coming to answer was a problem of. Uh, was because there was too much learning. It was a type of learning. Meaning, in, in the, what happened in the, in, in, in the centuries leading up to the Hasidic movement was that the, it became hyper-pilpalistic, abstract kinds of learning that were going on. That had nothing, to, no connection uh, to anything that the Hamon Am was interested in or related to or or would resonate with him in any way. It was like this sort of like completely uh, ivory tower kind of intellectualism that was separate from real life, let's say, okay? That was the, that was the issue that the Hasidic movement was coming along to. So I don't think that it was so much that, uh, that learning versus non-learning. It was the sort of learning that was going on was so abstruse and so pilpalistic and so abstract that there was, it didn't have anything to say to the average person. But if you sit down with an average person and you talk to them in ideas of Mishlei, almost anybody they will be able to relate to it. Because you're speaking their language. Forget about a book. You don't need a book. Who said it has to be a book? 
then you could talk to them about ideas that resonate with their experience and applying wisdom to their experience and the soul of a person will, will be receptive to seeing insight into their experiences in a way that's relevant. But if you start going into a Tosfot and Achronim on the Tosfot and Pilpul and what about this and doing all of those kinds of acrobatics of, uh, uh, you know, that we see from the Sifrei Achronim, basically, you could see the kind of learning that they were doing. It's not a surprise that the average person in the synagogue had thought that it had nothing to say to them and uh, they couldn't connect to it. But if you take even the most average, average person, uh, you know, in, in any community and you talk to them about ideas that are relevant to them, I think that it's very possible to, uh, to ignite an interest. It's just a different, you have to start from where they are. And I'm forgetting about the question of whether that type of learning that they were even doing during that time was valuable or what it was valuable for. Okay. That's like what the Rambam makes fun of when he talks about the people who are going around and around the palace and they can't find the door. Right, because they're lost in the world of halakha and they never find the door into anything higher than that. So that's, the, that's what happens when your whole learning is invested in the details and the nuances and the technicalities of halakha and it takes on a life of its own and it's no longer related to uh, your yidiyat It just becomes an end in itself. Right, you're worshipping the halakha. That's why what does the Rambam say in the beginning of Kiddush Hashem? He says... Okay, what is the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem? If a person says, do this Averah or I'm going to kill you, you do the Averah and you don't die. Because it says, that's the first example. It's a strange example because it's not a, uh, that's not a good example of Kiddush Hashem. That's the opposite. It's where the person gave in and did the Averah. But what does it show you? It shows you that you're worshipping the Halakha and giving your life up for the Halakha is a Chilul Hashem. Like that, that's not, you're making it seem like that technicality of the halakha is more important than your life. That's, that's idiotic. Doesn't that right? deal like what Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees was that they were... They worshipped the law. Yeah, they were too populistic in a way where they were focused more on the minutia of the law and not and losing the big picture. Where there's smoke and there's fire sometimes, what can I tell you? <laughs> there probably were people like that. <laughs> but he, you know, he's, he also does a lot of... He also shows a very superficial understanding of any halakha, assuming that what we see there is accurate, you know, in terms of what, what's quoted by, by the, the Gospels. But, um, in the, um, but I think that, you know, a, a Torah that is like a Torah chayim, right, is always accessible to, uh, to, to a human being on some level. It's just that we, we present the Torah where the Torah is seen as this very esoteric discipline of abstraction that isn't speaking to the concerns or the interest of the average person. But That's even, where it breaks down. More broad, for example, I, I try to study the Torah in a more broad and nonsense, you know, very well, like as obsessed over learning details. Um, it's still difficult. It still takes intellectual rigor. Studying Mishleh, just even the text, the Hebrew itself is, is an intellectually rigorous exercise. Right. Let's say practically, I have a child who's just not a book, he, he doesn't, he can't study. Torah learning is not for him. Well, that's why it says in the Torah, it always says, it says, says bartabam. You talk about it with them. Now, and you have conversations. But, but does that, is there room for that guy, for that boy, or man, to actually, to actually grow to the same heights as the Chacham? I don't know about level of height measuring, you know, one versus the other one. It could be that the Chacham will have more because he has, he, they're different worlds open to him because he's able to access books. Let's say, and the other person doesn't have the patience for books. 
But can the person's life be substantially transformed, enriched by knowledge of God? Yeah. Could they, could they achieve, uh, you know, could they achieve significant growth in their life, actualize their potential? Yeah, for sure. It's not necessarily going to be the same as the Chacham in their intellectual attainments, maybe. What you said about Einstein, Right, now we can discuss it or teach it. Yeah. You can, and you can impart wisdom to people without uh, formality of books a lot of times. Oh, everyone's leaving, is it? So we have to work out